Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. Praise the Lord. What an awesome time in the presence of God. That worship was worth you driving in the sleet this morning to get here. Hallelujah. I'm so glad that God is not merely a God who exists and lives off in the galaxies, far, far away in the heavenly realms. I'm so glad that he's a God that lives here and now, and he's willing to meet with you and meet with me right here and right now. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, good morning. Thank you for being with us today. If this is your first time at Hope Church, we hope that you know that we love you and we believe God has uh, great things in store for you today. I'm so proud of you all who braved the rain and the sleet and the nastiness to be here. Give yourselves a pat on the back this morning for coming to church. Amen. Um, I wanted to extend our heartfelt thanks to the church this morning the love and the support and the care that you guys poured out uh, for us and for my wife in particular and our family this weekend. We were in South Carolina um, celebrating Grandmama's homegoing to be with the Lord. Brianne's grandmother passed, um, and so we were down in South Carolina for the funeral this weekend, and so many people reached out to us and just said, hey, we're praying for you. Do you need anything? Can we watch the girls? Can we, what do you need? Do you need food? Do you need this and that? It's just such a testimony to the to number one the goodness of God, but number two to how strong of a community of faith that we have here at Hope Church. And uh, as a pastor, that makes me very number one very thankful, and number two very proud to to uh, to lead such an awesome group of people. So, thank you very much for your um, love and support. I want to share one quick announcement, and then I'll get into the word today. Um, and that is that this Saturday coming is our Hope and Healing Service for this month and we are we are so excited it's been uh since last year that we've had a hope and healing service and when we when we crossed over into the new year i felt so convicted in my heart that we needed to have at least one of these services per quarter uh of the year and so i we talked about it as a leadership team and we decided we're going to have at least four of these hope and healing services this year and i anticipate that'll increase and grow uh, into next year. So we want you to come and plan to attend Saturday, March 18th at 6 p.m. Uh, if you are 10 years old or between 10 and 15, don't forget Motion Youth Group meets today for Motion Devotion right after service with Miss Vanessa. So 10 to 15 years old after the service, you know where to go. Amen. <clears throat> All right, we're going to continue in a series today that we started last week that was something that the Holy Spirit, I felt very directed to to preach in, in this direction by God. And that is, um, we're starting or we're continuing our series called Community Matters. Community Matters. Um, we started it last week and started talking about 10 indicators, 10 indicators from Acts chapter 2 of what healthy church life looks like healthy, godly community should look like in the context of the local church. I believe that the early church gives us a wonderful pattern that we ought to learn from and, uh, and practice. So uh, we read from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I want to continue to do that again this morning. And this is, uh, this is part two of our series. So you can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. As you're turning... <clears throat> Let's put up on, our, on the screen our confession that we love to make every single Sunday as we get ready to receive the word. How many of you have memorized this now? Most of you at this point? I think so. We got all the diehards in the house today, so this y'all should know this for sure. Let's declare this out loud together. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. 
Today I am growing in the things of God. Say, why do you say that, Pastor? Because Jesus said in Mark 11, you'll have whatever you say. And we believe that we're growing in the things of God this morning. Are you growing today? I believe you are. Amen? Amen. Let's read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 down to verse 47. I'm reading from the New King James. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Again, the title of the message is, or the title of the series is Community Matters. I believe that God created us to live together as the body of Christ. That we're not supposed to live in isolation from one another but that our lives are supposed to be entwined together. Like the book of Ephesians says in chapter 4, that we're joined and knit together by that which every joint supplies. The body of Christ is like a tapestry, and each person has, has their place in that tapestry. Each thread needs to be exactly where it should be for the tapestry to make sense. And I believe that as we are called into the body of Christ, we're called to live together in relationship and community with one another. So that's what this series is all about. It's more, uh, it's more practical, I think. Uh, you know, I, 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 you, if you've been at this church for any length of time, you know how I like to preach. And I like to do books of the Bible and series and, t- and tackle topics and, and things like that. This is more of a practical series. So I want it to minister to you on a practical level, okay? But we're looking at 10 things this morning, 10 things that come out of this passage. I'm going to read them to you quickly, and then I'll do a minute of review from last week. But these, these 10 things jump out at this, out of this passage that we just read. Number one, the preaching of the Word of God. Number two, fellowship, which is what we're going to talk about today. Number three, eating together, breaking bread together. Number four, prayer. Number five, reverence for God. Number six, miracles. Number seven, radical generosity. Number eight, contentment. Number nine, favor. And number 10, growth by salvations. All 10 of these things are present in those few verses that we just read, and they were present in the early church, and I believe they need to be present in our church today. Amen? Isn't that good? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. Thank you that the Bible says the entrance of your word gives light. Lord, I thank you for truth and wisdom, for revelation knowledge that comes out of the scripture today that speaks to our heart. Holy Spirit, we give you our ear this morning, and we ask you to speak your wisdom into our hearts that we might grow and be transformed. Thank you, Lord, that everything that we can, that we can trust, everything that comes out of your word this morning, we choose to believe it today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. So, 10 things that come out of this passage in the book of Acts. Last week, we talked about preaching, the preaching of the word, continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So let me take just two or three minutes to review that, and then I'll spend the next two hours talking about the rest of the passage. Thank you for those laughs. Amen. Just quick review. <laughs> Amen. Oh. Uh, it doesn't come to, to me as a surprise that this detail, this is just quick review from last week, this detail of God's word comes at the very beginning of this passage, that they continued steadfastly in, firstly, the apostles' doctrine. We said that God's word and the value of God's word can never be overstated. We don't have a Christianity apart from the word of God. You know, you don't even know of the existence of God apart from his word. That's what the Bible says. Amen. You and I, we don't even have any frame of reference. We don't have access to God apart from his word. So the value of his word can never be overstated. And it's, it's not a surprise to me that it's mentioned first 
here in this passage. God's word, no matter what context you deliver it in, is the basis for all healthy and sound life. Amen? No matter what context. In fact, I'm, I'm prone to believe that the darker the context, the brighter the light of the word shines. The darker the situation you bring God's word into, the more impact it's allowed to have and it's able to have. We, said a few, we made a few statements about God and his word. We said God and his word are inseparable and completely entwined. In fact, to have God's word in a subject or in a matter is to have God in that matter. When your life gets crazy and sideways, you need the word of God because to bring the word of God into your sideways life is to bring God into your sideways life. Amen. When things start coming apart, don't panic. Go to the scripture. Let God begin to speak to you from his word. Amen. We said that God's word is the final authority. We said that his word is alive. It's living and it's powerful. The scripture says it's sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word is eternal. It's going to outlast everything that you see. Amen. God's power to save and redeem comes from his word. Romans chapter 1 is very clear about this, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who would believe. Lastly, we said that God's word is the source of direction for our lives. You don't need to take direction from Instagram. You need to take direction from the word of God. Amen? That's good. So then we, then we ask the question, what does Scripture mean by doctrine when it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine? What does that mean? Doctrine is the teaching that represents, or excuse me, doctrine represents the teaching upon which we build our spiritual lives as Christians. Doctrine represents the teaching upon which we build our lives, spiritual lives, as Christians. Doctrine can be summed up as the teaching which determines how I believe so it's pretty important that the doctrine be good. If how you live is based on what you believe, then what you believe ought to be based on something true and good and from the word of God. Amen. So that's why we judge doctrine. We examine it in the light of God's word to see if it's true, to see if it is so. And then we said because it's so foundational and true and important in our lives that we value a couple things in our church with regards to teaching. And number one is that we value Scripture over opinion. Amen? We value Scripture over opinion. What God thinks on a subject is more important than what you and I think about it. Amen? That was a good place to say amen, yes. And then we also value substance over style. Style's important, and I love good style, believe me. I spend probably more time than I need to obsessing over stylish things. But substance is what really matters because substance is where the nutrition is. It's where the good stuff is. McDonald's french fries are all style, no substance. Broccoli is all substance, but if you do it right, it can be pretty stylish. The same thing is with the word, amen? When the word of God comes into our lives, the nutrition, the, the spiritual nutrition that it brings is important. So we talked a little bit about the word steadfastly. If you'll put uh, verse 42 up on the screen, guys. We talked about the word steadfastly. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and I want to mention it again before we talk about fellowship and breaking of bread today. The word steadfastly in this verse, again, applies to the, the actions that follow it. So they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, and in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. The same fervor that they applied to the apostles' doctrine, they applied to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So, uh, you know, I think there, there needs to be, in our lives, a balance of these things, that we, that we need to value each and every one of them for the important th play, uh, role that they play in our lives. The word steadfastly, as I mentioned, is uh, a word which I, I like the way Dr. Rick Renner um, uh, speaks on it. He says, it pictures, this word steadfastly, pictures a person who wants something so fiercely that he's leaning forward toward that object and pressing toward it. The visual was that of a, an Olympic sprinter when they crossed the finish line. Y'all remember me doing this last week? What do they do when they cross the finish line? They lean forward. And see, that's the posture that the early church demonstrated in regard to all of these things. They wanted the apostles' doctrine. They leaned into it. They prioritized it. They wanted fellowship, so they leaned into it. You can't experience the benefit of fellowship without prioritizing fellowship. 
Amen. They wanted prayer. They were hungry for God to move in prayer, so they yielded to it, and more than just yielded, they pressed in. They said, you know what? This is important in my life. I'm going to prioritize it. The same pressing and prioritization that the church demonstrated toward doctrine, they also have for fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. So let's talk about two, two of these components today. Fellowship, we'll spend most of our time talking about fellowship today, and then a little bit of time talking about the breaking of bread. The word fellowship, I'm glad for the breaking of bread because I like to eat. Amen. The word fellowship is the word, the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia. How many of you have heard that word before by show of hands? Guys, everybody on this side of the room, you got some catching up to do because so many more people on this side of the room have heard of koinonia. Uh, You guys get a gold star, okay? Everybody in here. No, the word koinonia means simply fellowship, uh, association, community, communion, joint participation. Let me read that to you again. If you're taking notes, you may want to write these down. Koinonia, where it says fellowship. The word koinonia means fellowship, association, community, communion, and joint participation. Remember joint participation for later because that one's going to come back up again. Koinonia is a very, very special Greek word. In fact, when I was preparing for this, I thought to myself, I don't know if I'm going to be able to preach for, a, a, you know, for 40 minutes on the, on the word koinonia. I may have to lump a few of these other uh, words like breaking of bread and prayer and maybe have to go into the next verse just to cover my time. And then I started diving into the word koinonia and I thought, one Sunday's not enough. <laughs> Because this word is so rich with biblical truth and it's so valuable to what you and I experience in our daily lives as Christians. To live without koinonia is to live missing out on half of what God has for your life. You can have a dynamic prayer life by yourself and touch no one for the sake of the kingdom of God. You can be a hermit and live in a cave and enjoy all of the the, the rhapsody and ecstasy with the Holy Spirit that you can possibly have, and nobody, it does no good to the body of Christ. We weren't called to be hermits. We weren't called to be hermit crabs. Some people are just crabs. They're not even hermits. The more hermit you are, the more crab you become. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. That sounds like a book, doesn't it? We need to write that. Just a short book. No, listen, to miss out on koinonia is to miss out on a huge portion of your spiritual life and spiritual development in relationship to the kingdom of God. We're not called to isolate. So this word, again, let me give you the, 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 the definition and then I'll give you the, the definition of the root word. It, it makes it even bigger. The word koinonia means fellowship, association, community, communion, joint participation. This word comes from the Greek root koine or koinos. And it means, the word koine means common or get this, belonging to the generality. Belonging to the generality. This word describes something that was totally common Belonging to and shared by everyone. This word koine describes something that was totally common and belonged to and was shared by everyone. Like oxygen. Nobody owns it. Right? Anybody got a corner on the market for oxygen? No. It's just... It's everywhere, and it's available to us all the time. And guess what? You can have as much as you want, and you won't be taken from anybody else. Like oxygen, koinonia represents something that was equally available to everyone and owned collectively by everybody. It's such a profound word. I'm telling you, this this snuck up on me how deep this was. I didn't realize what I was getting into when I studied this word. It's such a profound word that it actually is used to classify the language of the New Testament. I 
don't know if you knew this or not, but the Bible wasn't just written in Greek. It was written in Koine Greek. It was the everybody language. It was the common language that everyone who was a part of the Roman Empire at that time understood. No matter where you were, and I wish I had a map of the Roman Empire that I could show you, but no matter where you were in the Roman Empire, you knew and understood Koine Greek. It was the language of the people. It was available and owned by everybody. So that when God decided it was time to inspire men to pen the Bible, he he did so in Koine Greek. So that everybody could understand. (laughs) The fact that, that Luke uses the word koinonia to describe life in the church is incredibly insightful and very descriptive and tells a big story in and of itself. If you were a rich aristocrat, you spoke Koine Greek. If you were a middle-class farmer, you spoke Koine Greek. If you were homeless and a beggar, you spoke Koine Greek. The point is, God used a language and used a concept called fellowship and koinonia in the early church to make it widely known that he wanted everybody in his family. Wow. This is more than just hanging out together. I mean, we think of the word fellowship and it's become such a common word to us, and that's a good thing. But we kind of relegate it and dumb it down to just, you know, well, Earl and Polly and Merv, they come over on Tuesdays and we play canasta. Well, it's like, it's more than that. It's a little more than that. It's about sharing life together. It's about sharing life together. I always think back to where I grew up in New York, and, and you've heard me talk about sitting on my grandmother's porch in the summertime, and the whole neighborhood came out. And everybody walked up and down the street, and you knew everybody's name, and, you know, it's kind of like cheers. <laughs> everybody knows your name, and, and, and you could wave, and you would see people you know, and it was just every day was just in this big thing called community. And what it was was it's a picture of the way that the body of Christ is actually supposed to function. Life becomes a shared experience. If you go down to verse 44, you, you see these words. Now all who believed were together, together, and they had all things in common. In common, it's the same word, koinonia. Same word, koine. They had everything in common. They were all together all the time. See, we, we, talk about, we talk about how we want it to be like it was in the early church. God, would you pour out your spirit and move like you did in the early church? Be careful what you ask for. Those folks went to church every day and they prayed God. They prayed and they spent time in the presence of God constantly. Amen. They were always together. And life became a shared experience. We embrace our need for one another. It's not, that we, it's not that we forego and let go of our sense of individuality. You're still the individual, the unique person that God has called you to be. It's just that you have a place in the body of Christ and it's important that you find and occupy your place in God's body so that the whole thing can work together the way that it's supposed to. It's like the many moving parts of a car or the many moving parts of your body. When one thing's not in the place that it's supposed to, the whole body suffers. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The whole body suffers when we're out of place. I mean, if Frankie was to be up here and I was to ask him to play the piano and all 10 of his fingers decided to go on strike because they were offended because he didn't, you know, love on them the way he was supposed to or I don't know, maybe you didn't clip your nails the way you're supposed to. I don't know. But all of a sudden, all 10 of your fingers went on strike. Guess what happens? He doesn't play the piano. You don't get blessed. When something, when something is out of place or not working, it hinders the whole thing. So we don't abandon our sense of individuality, but we embrace our need for one another, and we let go of isolation. Let go of isolation. How many introverts in the room? Anybody care to raise their hand if you're introverted? All right, okay, this message is challenging to you. I'm just going to tell you right now. <laughs> If you're watching us online and you're an introvert, sorry, I'm not sorry. This, listen, 
Isolation is the enemy of what God wants to do in your life. What did God, was one of the first things that God said when he created man. He looked at Adam, he saw his perfect creation, and he saw Adam, you know, the crowning achievement of all of it, and he said, boy, this is great. It's not good for that guy to be alone, though. All of this is just the way I wanted it. But that guy needs some help. Husbands, you need some help. Amen. All the wives, amen. That's right. Hallelujah. Amen. That's right. Glory to God. <laughs> Praise God. Marriage is important. Amen. But no, it's, we're, we're not supposed to isolate. Listen, listen. Let me tell you something. Isolation, you want to know what it does? Gives your ego an opportunity to run wild. <laughs> Let me say it again for the people in the balcony. Isolation gives your ego an opportunity to just run wild. Be wary of the person who seems to have no time for koinonia, for fellowship. Why? Because pride and selfishness flourish in isolation. Why? Because as long as you're the only one present, it's all about you. It's true. It's funny. But it hurts because it's true. (laughs) As long as you're in isolation, you're the only one there. It's all about you. Beware of the me monster. You all know what I mean when I say me monster? You ever met a me monster? It's this person that's, you know, at a party or a gathering that, that just somehow makes everything all about them. The me monster. You're sitting talking with your friends. Oh, you know, my wife and I, we had a... Lovely meal the other day at Vidalia. Oh, Vidalia, yeah, I love that place. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I know the owner. Yeah, I was the one that helped him write the menu. I was there the day that he decided he was going to do it. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I've had some of the best meals of my life over Vidalia. I love that place. Yeah, Tommy, the bartender, yeah, I know that guy. We go way back. Yeah, he's really fantastic. My kids, you know, they're in better schools than you are because uh, they're better than you. I keep a fleet of cars in Zurich because I want to just make sure that I have a road, something to drive, and I and me and I and me and me and I and my. You know what I'm talking about? Me monster? <laughs> That's a person that loves the sound of their own voice. Watch them close. Chances are they love their isolation. Listen to what Proverbs 18.1 says. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. What is the result? He rages against all wise judgment. Do you want to know One of the reasons that God created fellowship was to ensure that you don't get enamored with you. Amen. It's true. One of the reasons God created this koinonia is so that we don't get enamored with ourselves. I got to tell you, man, I'm just not as important as I think I am. And neither are you. And that's all right. Amen. It's all about Jesus anyways. It's our job to point people to Jesus, not to ourselves. Don't be a me monster. Come out of isolation and get in some fellowship. Listen to what this says in the New Living Version. It says, he who stays away from others cares only about himself. And he argues against all good wisdom. I like it in the Message Bible. It says, loners who care only for themselves spit on the common good. Ouch. Ouch. What's the point? The body of Christ is better when we're together. Amen. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. I'm going to read this to you from the Message Bible. Listen to how much better we are together. Are you ready? It's better to have a partner than to go it alone. Share the work, share the wealth. And if one falls down, the other helps. But if there's no one to help, it's tough. Two in a bed warm each other. Alone, you shiver all night. This one got me. By yourself, you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? A three-stranded rope is not easily snapped. Wow. 
Look at what community and fellowship and koinonia does for our lives. You can't face life alone. You were never designed to. God doesn't want you to. Find your friends. Find the people who you can be around, that you can entwine your relationship and your life with that will help you to weather things when it gets bad. When there's biblical fellowship, my wins become your wins. My burdens become your burdens. Your victories become my victories and your burdens become my burdens. Our triumphs are not celebrated alone. Neither are our failures. Neither are our bad moments. Koinonia means we're not going to let you celebrate alone. And we're not going to let you suffer alone either. Hallelujah. It's no longer just me and mine. It's all of us together. It's fellowship. It's the weaving and entwining of our lives. I told you this word was loaded. (laughs) It's no longer just us, just me. It's all of us together looking for one another's needs, celebrating one another's victory, living in community. Anything less is just communism. Amen. Anything less is just communism. It's just man-centered, prideful communism. And we know that doesn't work. I like to call this kingdomism, not communism. Why? Because Jesus is at the center of it. And when he's at the center of it, everything just works together. It's almost like Romans 8, 28 is true. All things work together to good for them that love God and are called according to his purpose when he's at the middle of it. Now let's zoom the lens back even farther. Can we do that? Why was this word koinonia and this concept of fellowship so significant and I believe even mind-blowing to an individual in the first century? Think about the context of the passage that we read. It's in the first century. It's in the Roman Empire. Why was this word and this idea of koinonia so significant? Well, the Roman Empire which at that time covered the the known world, was pagan, okay? Living at that time meant that you were pagan and worshipped many gods depending on your flavor of paganism. Maybe you were were Roman uh, by birth and so you, you believed Roman mythology and you were a Roman pagan. Maybe you were Greek by birth and you believed in Zeus and Greek mythology. Maybe you were a Gaul and you came from France and you believed some other paganism. Maybe you were, maybe you were I don't know, there's all kinds of pagans in the world at that time. But the world was far more religious and more spiritually attuned then than it is now. Far more people then believed in, in supernatural things and beings beyond themselves. So everybody was either one of two things. You were either pagan or you were Jewish. I mean, Islam really hadn't come around yet. That was still about 700 years away. And really the only two factions that existed were some brand of paganism and, and Judaism. Until Jesus came along and changed everything. So the idea of koinonia or common fellowship didn't exist in the religious world at all because both pagans and Jews had religious hierarchical orders which never mixed. The high priest at the temple in Jerusalem never mixed with the common people. The priests in the temple of Diana had no time for the commoner. So there was a huge schism, there's huge divides in the hierarchical order of world religion in that time, which meant that your personal value and your place in society was often connected to your rank or your status, religiously speaking. Y'all follow me? All over the Roman Empire, pagans groveled in temples before a host of angry deities trying to appease them and be spared of their wrath. Jews made pilgrimage to Jerusalem on high holy days to sacrifice to God, but were always held at arm's length, separated from their God by altars and the priesthood of the Levites. Yet in Romans 1.16, Paul boldly declares how the gospel changes all of that. He says the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to save everyone who would believe. It's koinonia. It's koine. It's 
It's God made available to the world. Christianity stormed into the first century by offering the believer in Jesus equal footing in the same family. It was no longer the high priest who went into the Holy of Holies on my behalf. I didn't didn't talk to God through a string of mediators. It was now Jesus who was both high priest and sacrifice who took his very blood into the Holy of Holy in heavens and poured it out on the mercy seat on my behalf that now you and I didn't have to go through a priest, didn't have to go through a ritual. All we had to do was come boldly, as Hebrews 4 says, before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus made God accessible to everyone. Koinonia. God could now be discovered and accessed by anyone at any time because of the blood of Jesus. Are you willing to believe in the name of Jesus? Good, there's room for you in the family. And I believe this blew the minds of first century people. They never could, could even fathom a God that would be that approachable. In fact, this idea of koinonia is perfectly expressed in Jesus' action of coming to earth. I told you this word has so much more in it than I ever thought. This idea of koinonia perfectly expressed in Jesus' action of coming to earth. John 1.14 says the word became flesh and what? Dwelt among us. Koinonia. Among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 says that he humbled himself and came to this earth in the likeness of man. Koinonia. It must have blown the minds of the first century person. Imagine a God who would become like one of us so that we could become like him. It's the ultimate fellowship. It's the ultimate invitation to all who would believe. It's so much more than getting together for movie night. It's so much more than just getting together to have coffee. Don't get me wrong, I love it. We're not having enough coffee. We're not breaking bread enough together. We're not doing as much as we could to to have our lives entwined. That's why I want to encourage you with this message today. Can I ask you a question? Would you like to know why? In our modern world, believers don't experience this kind of fellowship. It's because of one of the definitions of the word koinonia that we mentioned at the beginning. It's because it requires joint participation. It requires joint participation. You can't have fellowship with someone if you don't want to be around them. (laughs) It requires that everybody gets on the same page and says, yeah, you know what? We are going to make this an important thing. We are going to prioritize being together thought about this on my way in. No no amount of isolation and no amount of of avoiding this reality of fellowship and koinonia is worth my comfort. It's just not worth my comfort. My comfort's not as great as I think it is sometimes. And and I I think sometimes... In our lives, we avoid one another. We avoid the opportunity to actually have meaningful fellowship with one another just because we just get so committed to our own comfort. It's just, oh, well, I've had a long day. I don't, I don't want to see those people again. I want to go home. Listen, I know I'm guilty of this, of this way of thinking. But, but yet at the same time, my heart yearns for the fellowship and the interaction with the body of Christ. To be with the saints of God is a precious thing. 
and something that is worth our prioritization, worth us shelving our comfort and saying, you know what? Yeah, I want to, I, I, yeah, I, maybe I don't feel like it, but I'm going to make time. I'm going to make time. You know why? Because there's amazing breakthrough that happens in our lives when we get together as believers. Because what might seem like a casual evening of having pizza or playing cards or doing something or being together or going for a walk on the greenway turns into a moment where you open your heart to someone or they open their heart to you and you begin to pour out your heart to one another and, and all of a sudden somebody says, hey, you know what? We're going to pray about this right now. And you, you apply your faith. You come in. The Bible says two or three agree is touching on anything in my name. It'll be done by my Father who's in heaven. And so you come together. You get aligned in faith. You believe the Lord and boom, you get a miracle and you get a breakthrough and you go, gosh, I'm so glad I went for coffee. That's the way it's supposed to be. But there's so many in our modern world who miss it because we don't want the joint fellowship, the joint participation. It sounds like you're just trying to convince people to come to church more often, Pastor. Yes, yes, I am. Yes, as a matter of fact, that's exactly what I'm doing. And can I tell you, it's not devious, it's not manipulative, it's, it's like the doctor trying to get you to take the medication that he subscribed to you because he knows it's going to make you better and it's going to help you. I'm trying to manipulate you into having more fellowship. No, I'm not, but you get it. I'm trying to convince you of the importance of fellowship because how can we celebrate your triumphs? How can we carry your burdens if you don't participate? How can we know that you're hurting if you don't participate? The last part of this verse that I want to cover today is brief, but it's important. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine in fellowship and in breaking of bread. I believe that when it talks about the breaking of bread, it has dual interpretation. There's opportunity for dual interpretation, meaning that there's multiple things that it should and could be referencing. So, I believe on the surface, it has to do with sharing some meals together, just eating together. I said this a couple weeks ago. Who, who thought that just getting together to eat could be spiritual? It's just like my favorite verse in the Bible. <laughs> just to get together, Frankie, and let's have pizza. Why? Because. Why? He said Pizza Hut. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. Anyways, <laughs> I'm with you. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll go there. <laughs> no, who, who would have thought that potlucks could be so spiritual? Well, they are. Any, listen, anything is spiritually redeemed when God gets in the middle of it. I mean, digging ditches in the backyard can turn into a revival if the people are hungry for the Lord. It doesn't really matter what the, what the uh, you know, the, the, the yeah, the, the, anyways. It doesn't matter what you're doing. As long as it's not sin, God will get involved. Amen. So I believe that this is, number one, kind of on the surface, talking about um, eating together and being in one another's homes. In fact, if you go down to verse 44, we read it. It says they, were, they believed together and had all things in common. And Oh, excuse me, I meant verse 46. It says, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness. It's like they just got together and had fellowship and had fun. And there was some food. But I think it also, on a deeper level, represents receiving communion together. I believe it, received, it, it describes receiving communion together. And this idea of communion, it, it merges and it marries so beautifully into this idea of fellowship and koinonia that we just talked about. Because what better way to koinonia, what better way to fellowship than around the body and blood of Jesus. What better way to gather all together on equal footing than around the table of communion? 
Because can I tell you something? Everybody looks the same at the cross. Everybody. Listen, when, when, we, when we hold the bread and the body, uh, the body and the blood of Jesus in our hand, the bread and the wine, we are doing that activity in remembrance of him. We are proclaiming, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. We're specifically looking at the cross when we have communion. The resurrection is so important. The ascension is so important. The birth of Jesus is so important. But communion, for that, for that moment that we take communion, we zero in on and we, we, we focus in on the cross. And can I tell you, there's no greater place of koinonia than at the cross of Jesus Christ because at the cross, we all look the same. All of our righteousness, the scripture says, is filthy rags. All of our need. Listen, you might have lived the most squeaky clean life that anybody has ever lived. It makes no difference when we're all at the cross together because I need Jesus just as much as you need Jesus, just as much as the next one needs Jesus. You remember we talked about the justice, the scales of God's justice. Do you remember that? It was last year. And, and, and I, did, I did away with this, this misnomer, this idea that, that the scales of justice are we put all of our good deeds on one side, we put all of our bad deeds on the other side, and we see if they balance out, and hopefully if they balance out, we'll have favor with God, right? That's the way a lot of people think. But that's not, how the, way, that's not the way scales work. You put everything on one side, all the good, all the bad, all the indifferent, and you put God's perfection on the other side. And can I tell you that they never balance out. That's why you and I need Jesus on our side of the scale. Because at the cross, man, apart from the blood of Jesus, we look the same. There's fellowship. There's koinonia when we break bread in communion together. And the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 11, it says that we're, when we do this, we're to examine ourselves. And most people assume that to mean that we examine all the bad things. You know, I come before the Lord and examine all the ways that I missed it, all the ways that I failed. That's the way most people think. I believe, I believe Paul is not saying that at all. I believe he's saying that when we come before the table of the Lord, we're to examine ourselves in light of the cross, in light of the blood of Jesus, in, right, in light of the fact that Jesus, when he gave up his life, uttered these words, it is finished. And man, even though I came to the table with nothing, I leave the table with everything. Praise God, I'm in him. My life is hidden with Christ in God, and I'm not the same that I used to be. Now we have a, now our koinonia means something. Before our, before our, our koinonia, our fellowship was around the fact that we were broken and busted and without hope. But now because of the blood of Jesus, our koinonia means we all together have equal access into the presence of Almighty God. Hallelujah. That's why we worship the way we do. That's why we sing the songs we sing. That's why we lift our hands. That's why we're demonstrative, because we're thankful. Man, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I don't have to die and go to hell. I'm thankful that I get to serve the living God, and he gets to live in me, and I get to fellowship with him and have koinonia with my father. Oh, man. It's no wonder the early church experienced what they experienced. It's no wonder they, it's no wonder they turned the world upside down because they were so diametrically opposed to the culture. The culture that they were in couldn't be more different than the, than the world that they had tapped into when they said yes to Jesus. And I'm here to tell you it's the same thing for you and me. The culture that you and I live in doesn't matter how dark it gets. People spend so much time worrying about the darkness. Oh, brother, I don't know. I, don't, I just, I don't know. I just, did you see the world's getting darker? Who cares? 
let it get dark. The light that's in me shines brighter the darker it gets, so that's fine. Come on, let's just experience Jesus together. Let's have some koinonia fellowship. Let's break bread. Let's pray. Let's just, you know, let's just enjoy Jesus for who he is to us and let the world see our light. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And what? Glorify your Father. You see, when the church works the way that it's supposed to, when we, when we commit to this joint participation that we're supposed to have with one another, the world sees it and glorifies God. The world sees what we have and they begin to go, my life is dark. I, I, I don't know about this Jesus, but I, I think I need to know more. We were just talking yesterday with a friend about these Asbury revivals that just happened and how it spread to all these other college campuses. And some people think, oh, man, that's not a good thing. It's fake. It's false. Listen, if people, when, if college students are crying out for Jesus, it's got to be God. <laughs> I don't know if you've toured a campus anytime recently, but it's not all, you know, they're challenging places. If people, if, if young people are crying out for the Lord, having fellowship with the Spirit of God and fellowship with one another, and God is being exalted, then praise the Lord. Let's have some here. Why not here? Why not now? Come on, why not, why not this Saturday at Hope and Healing? Why not just have a Jesus explosion here and just see just see people turn their hearts back to God and let's see miracles and signs and wonders. Let's just have the presence of God with no restrictions at all. That's what my heart is hungry for. Amen. I hope you're hungry too. Let's stand up to our feet. Hallelujah. I want to encourage you today as we as we leave and as we close down the service. I want to encourage you in your giving today on your way out. There's opportunity for you to sow into what God's doing. If you call Hope Church your home, there's opportunity for you to to tithe and give. And you can do so either online at hopeboon.com or you can do so by visiting either the Hope Hub or the table here. I want to encourage you in your giving. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Amen. And I'm here to tell you, Hope Church is strong and healthy and we are moving forward in the purposes of God because of hungry, fanatical Christians like yourselves who are willing to come out when it's sleeting and raining and uncomfortable. Thank you for saying no to your comfort so you can say yes to Jesus this morning. I appreciate seeing you. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, I thank you today. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.